Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We're in our family series today and uh, for the next several weeks, and we are looking at the family. We looked last week at the kitchen. You know, the Bible says, listen to this verse in Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And so we're talking about God building that house and how we build that house and what it looks like. And we're kind of making our way through some of the rooms of the house. And last week we looked at the kitchen. It's where all the cooking takes place. And the main uh, theme of last week was we've got to do some home cooking with our own kids. Got to disciple our own kids. We can't depend on the church for all the discipleship. Home cooking's got to take place in the house. We've got to disciple our kids. In fact, some, I hope some of you were able to do this last week, sit down with your families, maybe at mealtime, and go through some of those verses together and work on it. If you didn't hit them all, that's okay. We have another sheet in for you this week, and so we're encouraging every family to try to take some time, either at mealtime or at the end of the day or sometime, and go through these verses and have these quick faith talks and then pray together. And so they should be right there in your bulletin. You can look at that. Now, we're going to move today from the kitchen into the dining room. And you saw the clip right there. The dining room is where all the conversation takes place. It's where all the communication goes on. It's where you sit down and you talk with your family and you go over some things together. And so that's where we're kind of moving into this week. Let me tell you a little story. Lady noticed that her husband next door, when every time he came home, he was always bringing flowers or candy, and when he saw his wife, he just always right there on the front porch gave her a great big kiss. And the next door neighbor watching out the window would see this pattern day after day and was starting to feel a little bit jealous because her husband didn't do that. And so she thought she'd drop a not so so subtle hint, and she said basically, honey, have you noticed that the husband next door is always kissing his wife? bringing her flowers and candy. Why don't you do that? He answered, because I hardly know the woman. (laughs) What we have here is a failure to communicate. You, You ever feel like somehow you communicate clearly and they just don't get it? Husband and wife in the same house? talking about all kinds of stuff, and yet the communication tends to break down. Let me tell you this right out of the gate. There's probably nothing more important to a sound, healthy marriage than good communication, than the ability to talk and communicate with one another and to do that in the right way. There's probably nothing more important in the home. And so we're going to go to the Word of God, and the Word of God gives some great guidelines on how we do this, how we communicate with one another in the house especially with the husband and wife. So let's stand together. Take your Bibles out. Turn to James chapter 1. <coughs> James chapter 1 and verse number 19. Once again, this morning, we're going to be very, very practical. A simple message, but we want you to get the truths of Scripture and get it deep into your heart and spirit today. It says there, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everybody, let's take note of this right now. Everyone should be quick to listen 
slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So what's it say? We should be quick to listen. Everybody say quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look great today, and then you may be seated. Uh, There was a day in the early days when uh, boxing had no rules. There were no rules to govern the sport of boxing. And so because of that, there was a whole lot of violence going on inside of the ring, probably a little bit more like the MMA we see today that has kind of come back. But there were no rules, and many men at times were left bloody, and they were uh, some even had broken arms, broken limbs in the ring. Others were left blinded, and some even died in the ring through a boxing match. In the late 1800s, the Marquis de, de Queensberry gave some rules for boxing, And the rules went something like this. No more kicking, no more gouging, no more hitting below the belt. Okay, those were some of the early rules that were adopted in boxing. Here's a few more. No more headbutting and no more biting off your opponent's ear. (laughs) Obviously, Mike Tyson never got that memo. And the marquee knew that when he wrote the rules down, it would be difficult for him to enforce these rules. And so he instituted a referee. And the idea is the referee would stand in the ring with the two opponents, the two boxers who were going at it with each other, and he would be there to ensure that all the rules of boxing were followed. And thus we have modern boxing today with all the rules and the ring and the referee, and it's all set up. The referee's job was not to keep the fighters from not fighting, but to make sure they fought fair and they followed the rules. And if they did this, it would increase their chances that they would live to come back and fight another day. And no one would be killed in the ring. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the next time you and your spouse had a disagreement, you're lying in bed, you're arguing, you're fighting, you're going after each other, and a door popped open and a referee pops out with his stripes on and his, his outfit on and he began to blow the whistle and bring the fight back into order. He says, I'm the referee. I'm here to keep you from cutting your spouse with hateful words. I'm here to make sure there's no hitting below the belt with belittling comments and putting down the other person. And I'm here to make sure you don't kill each other so you can live to fight another day. That might be nice. Now, I want to tell you something. We do have a referee, and we do have a rule book. The rule book's right here. It's the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us how to fight fair and how to communicate with each other and how to get along in the home. And if we'll follow the pattern of God's Word, it'll teach us a lot. And here's our rule book about how to communicate in marriage. And we also have a referee. It's that internal voice of the Holy Spirit that's inside of every single child of God that that helps us when we get off track and tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And so the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. But what happens is often we can't hear 
hear the referee because our emotions get so wound up. We get so worked up and so angry and, and, and all of a sudden every emotion rises and begins to take over the entire discussion and pretty soon we're saying things we shouldn't say. You're looking at me like I'm the only one who does that. And you leave your opponent bruised and broken. And then out of nowhere comes the left hook. And he says, I don't really love you anymore. The guidebook is the word of God. And James gives us some rules of engagement. And there are three rules of engagement that we are going to look at today on how we can resolve our differences without emotional shedding of blood and live to fight another day. So are you ready for the rules this morning? Rule number one, be quick to listen. Verse number 19, be quick to listen. It has been said that the average woman speaks about 24,000 words a day with gust up to 30,000, okay? (laughs) The average man, on the other hand, speaks about 12,000 words a day. Now, Now, the problem is the man uses all his words up at work. And so when he comes home, he wants to find his man cave or hide into his TV or, or put his brain in neutral. And the wife has about probably 20,000 extra words to share, especially if you just had little children. They've all been in school all day long. And so that's kind of the problem and that creates tension in the house. Women talk more naturally and easily They are more open. Women tend to verbally process. They like to talk things through and verbally process everything because for them, talking relieves stress, right? While men, we want to interrupt the conversation. And men, as soon as our wife starts explaining or laying out the challenge, we are ready with a solution. Men want to fix it. We are fixers. And so we jump in and we try to to fix it and find that quick solution when what happens is when we're giving our opinion and we're giving the solution, the women just get more and more stressed. She wants to be heard. She's not looking for a solution. I, I heard this illustration. Women, when they're out there drowning in the sea of emotions, they don't want you to throw them a lifeline. They want you to jump in the sea with them. (laughs) They're not looking for answers. We only think they are. Because we want to fix it. We want to make it all right. We got our five-word answer, just do this, it'll be okay. Women are emotional. And they want to talk. And they want someone to share those emotions. And they want a good listener. They want someone to hear what They are saying, they just want to be heard. So men, I'm going to give you two lines that will save your marriage. And we're going to practice this morning so you can get it all down, okay? I'll give you the line first and you repeat after me. The first line is this, tell me more. Okay, (laughs) men, let's all say that together. Tell me more. You guys are doing great. (laughs) Remember that line at home this week. 
tell me more. The second line is this, and we will practice this as well. Poor baby, my how you have suffered. Okay. <laughs> Man, let's all say that together. Poor baby, my how you have suffered. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Listen, you get, you get those two lines down, and you will have a wonderful, long, happy marriage. Men by nature want the bottom line. Women want all the lines. I, I read this quotation, and ladies, don't get mad at me. You're probably already steaming right now, but uh, <laughs> let, me, let me, this is too good to pass up, guys. Listen to a woman tell about her day is like ordering pizza, one pepperoni at a time. <laughs> oh, okay, that's it. No more, no more. Because it's, it's taking a bad turn. The reality is most of us are lousy listeners. In fact, right now, some of you are thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. You're not listening. Already checked out. Thinking about what you're going to do at the beach or at the lake or at the river. or You're, you're in your mind planning your week and all your appointments and all that you have to do and all that's coming up. Our minds are jumping all over the place. The reality is you can think 10 times faster than you can talk. And so when the other person is speaking to you or talking to you, our brains are jumping all over the place. Okay? And there's nothing more frustrating than to have someone continually interrupt you while you're trying to convey your thoughts, right? You're talking to them, and man, they're jumping in, they're interrupters, they're, they're in your conversation, they're, they're jumping in very quickly, and that's very, very frustrating when you're trying to convey to them how you feel, or what you're thinking, or what you want to communicate. Before you're all done, they're already jumping in, because their brains are already going on what the answer is, and what the solution is, and this happens in marriage all the time. And so the Bible says, be quick to listen. We gotta hear what they're saying. We've got to understand the emotions that are going on. Be quick to listen. Disagreements in your home will never be resolved unless you actually begin to listen to what the other person is saying. You'll never solve the disagreement unless you hear and understand what they're saying. Comprehend what's going on in their mind and in their feelings. Now let me see if I can illustrate it for you. Say, for example, your wife says, honey, what you did really hurt me, okay? She's expressing her feelings and what you just did, and we do a lot of things, men, that hurt her wives. And so she responds and says, honey, what you did really hurt me. At that point, the man says, oh, really? Let's talk about six weeks ago when you did such and such to me. You didn't care about my feelings then. Now, that's not very effective Conflict management, okay? The goal is not to win a fight by knocking out your opponent. The goal is resolving the conflict. And so pride kicks in, anger kicks in, it escalates very rapidly. We haven't heard what they're saying. And it just goes and grows beyond that. The rule book says this. 
be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. And then the rule book also says in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrongs. And so you broke the first uh, cardinal rule in the word of God by bringing up something that happened six weeks ago. That should have been forgotten. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you love your wife, you're not keeping a running tally. Ladies, if you love your husband, you're not keeping the record book open. And every time a disagreement comes up, you go back to the time that happened five weeks ago, six weeks ago, or even last week. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And so when, the, when everything is settled out, it's gone and forgotten forever, just like the way God forgives us. He removes our sea. He buries it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be drudged up again. And yet in our home, we keep drudging up these old fights, these old disagreements, the old hurts we feel, they keep coming up. It's no wonder we always fight and can't get along. Word of God says, be quick to listen. Listen completely and don't start thinking about your comeback. Proverbs 18, 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. A great verse, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. James put it this way, be be quick to listening. So that's the the first key to resolving conflicts, to, to good communication in your marriage relationship. The second rule is this. He says in the same verse, verse 19, be slow to speak. Everybody say that with me. Slow to speak. Okay. Quick to listen. We got two ears. Listen twice as much as I talk. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. In other words, think before you talk. Don't engage the mouth before you've thought about it and engage the brain. When you begin to speak very rapidly, very quickly, and you come up with that answer, most of the time you're going to stick your foot in your mouth. Slow to speak. Man entered a monastery and he took a vow of silence. And that's probably one of the harshest disciplines to have to endure personally. And so so he could not say a word in this monastery, but he was allowed to say two words every 10 years. And so the first decade passed. He was brought in for his interview with the head monk. And the two words he chose were, bed hard. He went back, he joined the other monks in the monastery, he served there for another 10 years, came back for his second decade interview, and he said these two words, food bad. (laughs) That was it. Worked another decade, 10 more years, served in the monastery very faithfully, and he came up with these last two words, I quit. And the head monk looked at him and said, well, that doesn't surprise me in the least. You've done nothing but complain for the last 30 years. (laughs) Be slow to speak. You know, your, your words, your words can be like a medicine when carefully chosen. But when they're, when they're thoughtlessly misused, they hurt and they bring pain, and so we speak often too fast. Don't think with your mouth. Don't shoot from the lips. It will produce unnecessary casualties in your marriage. The Bible says be slow to think. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. Listen to some of these Proverbs. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. 
Wow. There's another one, Proverbs 10 and 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. You ever, ever been there? The more you talk, the more trouble you get into. But he who restrains his lips is wise. It's great advice. Unlike automobiles, words cannot be recalled for safety adjustments. Once they roll off the tongue, they can't be taken back. You guys ever said something? I know we all have. And as soon as it came out, you went, oh, I could get that back. If I could just grab that word and stick it back in my mouth, I'd do it. When our conversation begins to accelerate, that's when we speak without thinking. And it's in those moments someone's going to get hurt. So the Bible says be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Think about it. Weigh your words very, very carefully. Because if you don't, after all the dust settles, you'll leave. And and what happens is you've said words, and you may even apologize and say, I'm so sorry, I blew it, I shouldn't have said that. But those deep hurts sometimes remain on the inside. Because you've wounded your spouse and you've cut very, very deeply and the damage is done. Proverbs 12 and 18, listen to this one. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that great? Our men are going to be studying Proverbs in the fall. There's so many awesome, incredible Proverbs. You get those Proverbs in your spirit, it will tell you how to live life, how to be a wise person. And so let me, let me read that one more time. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. So when you speak fast and you don't think about it, it's like taking that sword or dagger and digging it right into the other person. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Whether you realize it or not, all of us are carrying a concealed weapon. Our tongue. You don't need a weapons permit to carry your tongue around. It's there. You're stuck with it. It's that concealed weapon that you carry around. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. So the way you use that tongue can bring life or it can bring death. And so ask yourself this morning, do my words bring healing or do they bring destruction? Am I bringing chaos and death or am I speaking life? I think we all want to bring healing. But unless we're slow to speak, slow to speak will cause harm. The Bible warns that rash words, harsh words, backbiting bring hurt and destruction and yet on the other hand gentle words soothing words gracious words always bring healing so be slow to speak so you can have those gracious kind gentle words now let me tell you something disagreements in marriage will be inevitable if you're married you're going to disagree it's going to happen man and wife very shortly right out of the gate on your honeymoon it'll start Disagreements will be inevitable. But how we speak during those times, the way we speak during those times, has a great to do with a positive resolution. And so the way you conduct yourself, the way you speak it, the way you say it, yes, you're going to disagree. You won't disagree on everything because you're two crazy, wild, different people. But the way you communicate will say so much to resolving the conflict. It will either escalate the conflict because you spoke too fast, 
too harsh, too mean, too cutting, or you will speak words of life and it'll bring everything down and you can work through it together. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And the third one's this, rule number three for boxing and fighting fair is be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Unchecked anger has physiological effects on your body. Now listen to some of this. This is scientific stuff. Just jot this down. I thought it was interesting. If you allow anger to go unchecked in your spirit, it will affect your body. It releases chemicals, uh, adrenaline, into your body system. So in other words, when you get very angry, it's just like you were being attacked by a wild animal. The amount of adrenaline that your body generates when you are angry is the same response or adrenaline that would be released if a mad dog was chasing you about to bite your leg off. Number two, it it restricts the flow of blood to the brain. You didn't know that, did you? You actually lose brain function when you are angry. Listen, I don't know about you. I don't have a whole lot of extra brain to go around. I need all I got. But when you're angry, you're not thinking clearly. Right? Many bodily functions begin to shut down. If you're angry, you can't sleep at night. It leads to depression and tension and irritability. And even your immune system will become vulnerable. When you become very angry, you're more susceptible to get the flu, colds, whatever else there is, because you're angry. It affects your body. There are physiological effects of anger. So the Bible says be slow to anger. There are also spiritual effects. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And look, if you would, at verse number 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. You hate your brother, angry with your brother, you're still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. In other words, you see where you're going. You know very clearly where you're going, what your purpose and mission in life is. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. In other words, when you're angry, you get blind spiritually. You lose focus of spiritual realities, eternal realities, because you are so consumed by your anger. And you stumble around blindly, the Bible says. You blow up and you have no idea the damage you are causing or you are doing because you're walking around in blindness. And so we pop off. We say the first thing that comes to our mind, we get mad, we throw things around, we pitch our little fits, and we're creating incredible damage to the other person. And yet you're blind to it. There's a spiritual blindness that comes over you that shuts out your hearing from that referee, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And number three, it will have devastating effects on your relationships. Because in the home, if there's always fighting, if it's always an adversarial position, you're fighting with one another, it creates tension in the home. And you're always walking around on eggshells, and what do I say next, and what do I do next? And as the second result of that is there a loss of physical intimacy in marriage. It'll mess up your sex life, put it very clear. Very blunt. I want you to look back at James 1 again. I want you to look at verse 20. He talks about anger. 
and very interesting verse here. It says in James 1 and verse number 20, he says, for man's anger, he says, be, be slow to become angry. He says, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now he talks about man's anger or human anger. Now there, is, there were some times that Jesus got very upset in the word of God. He got angry. He got angry with those uh, selling goods in the marketplace. He turned over their tables. He became angry with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see that as a righteous anger. It is a holy anger against injustice and righteousness. We ought to be angry about unborn children being slaughtered and abortion. We ought to be angry about some things going on in our land today. We ought to be angry about what the devil's trying to do and wreak havoc in America today and in our families. We ought to be angry about some of those things. But he talks about human anger. Human anger. Human anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. He separates that from a holy, righteous indignation. A human anger, and here's the reason. Human anger is based on envy and pride. There's a root cause of that anger. So if you're angry, and you're angry a lot, and you're losing your temper a lot, and you're mad at other people, and that keeps coming out and surfacing, it's either you're envious of someone else, or you are filled with pride in your own spirit. When someone says something that injures your self-worth, you do one of two reactions. Either you blow up or clam up. Now follow me here. I'm taking you somewhere. Here's how we react. Some people, when they get angry, they shut down. They clam up. They get quiet. They give you the silent treatment. And then others will often blow up. And it all comes out like a volcano. And you yell at the person closest to you at the time. Both of those are devastating to a marriage relationship. Here's what happens. Pride says... I'm right, and I'm going to prove it. So when there is a disagreement, you're going to prove your side. You're going to prove that you're right, and you're going to follow this argument all the way until you can prove your point, I am right. But for you to be right, someone else has to be wrong or less than you. You follow me? In other words, you're, you're, you go in for the kill. You've heard the expression, I'm going in for the kill. I'm going in for the win. I'm, I'm all out. And what happens is words start to fly, and your words become many because you are angry. And so you say, you did this. You always do that. You never do that. Or we say, if you weren't this way, or if you weren't that way, And all of a sudden, we leave the issue, and the attack becomes very personal. Why? Because you're angry. And your words start to flow. So he says, be slow to speak, slow to speak, quick to listen. Be slow to anger. Don't get so boiled up and so worked up on the inside. When anger escalates, the rule book is thrown out. And we get so mad, the voice of the referee inside of us is silenced. And then someone drops the D-bomb. Well, that's just fine. We'll just get a divorce. And maybe then you'll be happy. And at the end of the day, both sides leave bruised and broken and beating. I want to show you something from the Word of God, and I want you to follow me here closely. The Bible says that the root cause 
for divorce is the hardness of the heart. Now, I know when I talk about divorce, many in here, you did not want your divorce. You didn't want it. And that other person left you, betrayed you, but there is hardness in the heart either on one party or both parties. Sometimes only one person gets hard and divorce follows. Sometimes it's both are involved with the hardness of their heart. It's the inability to forgive. It's the inability to, to let it go. I would say even more than infidelity, pride is at the root of the hardness of the heart. And ultimately, it will lead to a divorce. Hardness of the heart. Pride on one party or on both. When it comes to conflict, the problem usually isn't the issue. It's the way the disagreement is handled. I want you to follow me here. What happens is when we're having an issue, pride comes in and anger escalates. It goes through the roof. Because you want to prove you're right. You get louder and more fiery and violent and you're proving you're right. Have you ever gotten a fight, an argument, and it went on for so long you forgot what you were arguing about? Am I the only one that happened to? You get so caught up in the argument you forgot what the issue was to begin with. It's usually not the issue. The issue is not the issue. The issue is your anger and your pride, your arrogance. If we could control our temper and express our differences in a gentle, loving way, your marriage could actually be strengthened. It's <coughs> good advice. Say that again. We could control our temper and express our differences in a gentle, loving way. Your marriage will actually be strengthened. Now, some of you, I, I hear you right now thinking to your mind, Pastor, I, I just can't control my temper. I learned it from my mom and dad. That's all I ever saw in their marriage. And so somehow I, I got this rage inside of me and I can't control my anger. I can't control my temper. I'm um, this or I'm that. And it's just the way I am and it's who I am. And I got this short fuse and I really can't help myself. I've always had a short fuse. I want to tell you something right now. That is not true. That's not true. And let me tell you why that's not true. And you're going to relate to this. You can be right in the middle of yelling at your kids, angry with your kids, mad, and yelling on top of your lungs, and the phone rings. A little Miss Gossip so-and-so is on the other line. And you pick up the phone and say, well, hello, how are you doing today? And immediately, everything changes. Kids, get out of here. You're going to kill you later. How are you doing today? Are you having a lovely day? I'm having a lovely day. Everything's well here. You're fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. Why? Because you don't want the whole neighborhood to know you're a raging lunatic. And so you, you bring it under control. You can control it when you want to. Men, you wouldn't think of going in and firing off at your boss. Because your boss holds your job and holds your paycheck. And you're not going to risk that. So you'll approach them humbly and meekly and with kindness. But we'll go home. The king of the castle's here today. 
What's this? My supper's not ready? What do you think I pay you for around here? And you stomp around the house like you're the king of your castle. You get angry. You get mad. You can't take it out at work. You can't take it out in public, but we take it out on our wife or our husband. The most important people that God ever brought into our lives. Don't tell me you can't control it. You can. You can. It's a lie. The problem is self-centered, self-centeredness, and poor decision-making about when and where to control yourself come into play. The problem is pride. The Bible says self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. Now follow me here. And for the fruit to grow, for any of the fruits of the Holy Spirit to grow, it grows in the soil of prayer and obedience to God's Word. Okay, you take those two things, you put them together, you plant that in the soil of the Lord Jesus Christ, and out of that will grow a natural fruit of self-control among several other fruits of the Spirit that are listed in the Word of God. God will enable you to overcome the problem of anger, and you'll see self-control being birthed in your life. Now let me read the next verse, and I want you to see it. James 1, 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Now let me read the verse before it again. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And then he goes right on to the next verse. Therefore, because of this, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Save you from what? Save you from yourself. Save your marriage. Two things he said to do right there. Get rid of the old clothes. Put off all moral, filth, and evil. Get it out of your life. Listen, our outburst of anger reveal the true person inside of us. Anger is only the symptom of a deeper problem on the inside. It's the symptom of a dark, proud, hard heart. Uncontrolled rage, anger, problem on the inside. So what does James say? Get rid of all malice. Get rid of all evil. Get it out of your life. How do you do that? God, forgive me. God, I'm a mess. God, plow up my heart. God, I repent. God, I turn to you. Get rid of it. The second thing he says is this. He says, receive with humility the implanted word of God. Now, what is the opposite of pride? Humility. Humility. Humility is not about me getting my own way and me having my own rights and me always being right and me always winning in the house. It's the opposite of pride. In humility, I don't argue with the word of God or twist it to my own way of thinking but I receive with humility the engrafted word of God and the word of God begins to change me from the inside out. I honor this as the word of the Lord and I allow his word to begin to renew my mind and as he renews my mind, my actions change. The world talks about a phrase and it's not a bad phrase in itself, but it's not really very correct. Psychologists use the terminology anger management. Anger management. So I'm always attempting to manage my anger. 
And I find myself like the Apostle Paul. The, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And I really can't manage my anger. But the Word of God talks about renewing the mind or changing the person from the inside out. Got to start on the inside. I don't manage anger. I say, God, change me, change my heart, change my life. And it results in the fruit of the Spirit. Anger is like the warning light on the dashboard. It lets you know you have a problem. And so that oil light comes on your dashboard. And it keeps flashing on and off. You can do one of two things. You can ignore that light and just go on like it never happened and you don't see the light on the dashboard. Or you can say, you know, that light's driving me crazy. I'm going to disconnect the light bulb. Or you can change the oil. And if you don't change the oil and you ignore the light, your engine's going to burn up. The same thing with anger. You got anger. You can ignore it and just go on. You can pull out the the, the light and try to control your anger in your own strength. Or you can allow the Holy Spirit of God to change you from the inside. And until that change comes from the inside, the fruit of self-control won't be there. You do that. You have strong, powerful communication in your marriage. Communication is everything. In counseling, in marriage counseling, over and over again, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And then they want me to come in and be the referee. And I get into that discussion with them, and one's on one side of the couch hugging that couch, and one's on the other side of the couch hugging their couch, and, and they're interrupting each other, and they're jumping in, and they're all over the place, and they're so mad, and they're so angry, and it's built up on the inside. Tragedy is so often they wait till the very end to come see a counselor. Let the Spirit of God change you from the inside out. In any marriage, disagreements will be inevitable because there's two radically different people from radically different backgrounds and you have radically different ideas from everything from raising children to handling money to everything else imaginable. You have totally different ways of thinking. But how you resolve disagreements is a matter of life and death to your marriage. And so James tells us, quick to listen quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The temptation is when the communication breaks down and all things begin to fall apart. Instead of going to the rule book or instead of contacting the referee, we give up. We shut down and say, it's not working. I'm not happy. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm getting my own place. I'm getting my own apartment. I'm I'm moving down. I'm moving out of here. I'm going back to live with the kids I'm getting out of this house and we grow apart I want to tell you listen to me people don't ever 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 give up on your marriage don't give up on your marriage hang in there trust God believe in the Lord Jesus Christ follow those three rules be quick to listen slow to speak slow to anger and God can give you a healthy life-giving Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.